God puts a great emphasis on the family. And we want to emphasize that. Consider this challenging job of a mother. The most important job in the world has awful hours, no vacation, no days off, and should command compensation on par with a chief executive. Yeah, that's out of the newspaper this week, so it must be true. It said, yeah, moms need a pay raise. In a regular job, working 100-hour weeks and juggling duties of an array of workers, driver, nurse, personal chef, and more, would bring in a generous pay package and lavish benefits. The figure, $131,471 a year, according to a study released by Salary.com. Boy, I'm glad my wife doesn't stay at home. I couldn't afford her. <laughs> I'm doing you a favor keeping your wife at church, too. Yeah. Being a mother is a very demanding full-time job. You know the old joke, how, how, much, how much of your time does one child take? All your time. How much does two children take? All your time. There's no more. So you might as well have as many kids as you possibly can. <laughs> Is that right, Ione? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there'll be counseling for that afterwards with Ione over here in the corner. <laughs> Being a mother is a very demanding full-time job, and if you work outside the home, you are really stretched thin. When our kids were in their younger school years, Sue took them to school, which was also the location of her job. And when school was over for them, she loaded them up and brought them home where she resumed her duties as wife and mother. Moms... And moms-to-be, I bring you a gift from God to help you with your challenging life. Look at John 14, 27. Gospel of John, verse 14, chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Moms, and really everybody to some extent, I want to ask you a question today. Is your life characterized by peace? Of all the things that I could preach about today, this is one of, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, that I could say to you. It is possible for you to live your life in peace. And it's not the world's kind of peace. I know that because Jesus told me that right now. It's a better kind of peace. And so I want to cover some familiar ground and perhaps some less familiar ground to some of you and try to help you understand what is going to be required if you're going to enjoy the peace of God. And I've entitled my sermon, Mom's Happy Place. You know, have you heard that saying, go to your happy place? It's when you close your eyes and imagine the wonderful place away from all the mayhem around you. I want to say today that God has a happy place for you, and it's the peace of Jesus Christ. How do you gain the peace of Jesus Christ? The first step is this. Believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
Now, again, I, I know that I'm covering some familiar ground, but sometimes we miss the things that are most familiar. Look at the beginning of John 14, if you would. Let not your heart be troubled. Sometimes we just need to read the Bible real slow. Let not your heart be troubled. How? You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And where I go you know and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I'd like to reword the last phrase of that verse. Any man or any woman can come to the Father through me. Let not your heart be troubled. How does believing in Christ bring us peace? Well, it... Jesus takes away the uncertainty of eternity. Do you meditate on the fact that you're bound to heaven for heaven? This last week, we had a memorial service for Masako Fujimoto. She died actually a month or so ago and was in California. And they had a memorial service there and here. And I'm here to tell you, it is a wonderful, joyful thing to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Masako is worshiping God in heaven today. She's not in the physical, terrible condition she was for the last few months before her life ended. She's with Christ face to face. Friends, we need to meditate on that fact and let it pervade our life. You might have a challenging life. You might have a challenging family. But you're headed to heaven. You're headed to heaven. You're headed to perfection. You're headed to the presence of Jesus Christ Himself. Listen what he what God has told us in Hebrews 2. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood... Jesus, He Himself likewise shared in the same, that through death He might destroy Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you need to do so first and foremost so that the uncertainty of eternity can be taken out of your life. You can relax and look confidently forward and say, someday I'm going to be with Jesus. That will bring peace to your life right now. A kind of peace that you will not get anywhere else. Jesus brings us peace by taking away the uncertainty of eternity. We don't need to fear the future. We don't need to fear the car accident. We don't need to fear nuclear holocaust or global warming. You don't need to live in fear of the end of your life because it's absent from the body, present with the Lord. You can live in peace. 
I remember a mom who said she was a news junkie. She watched all kinds of news and then she couldn't sleep because she was so worried about the world. Really, she did it every day. Are you on your way to heaven? Mom, dad, child, single person. Are you living in the confidence of Jesus as your eternal Savior? Mom, if you're here today and you're not confident about eternity, then the normal stresses of this life could very well push you over the edge. What do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. If you're looking forward and your future is completely uncertain, you have no idea what's going to happen after you die, and then you add to that the challenge of family life, you may get depressed. But if you would come to faith in Christ, and if you already have faith in Christ, if you would meditate on that and say, oh God, thank you for the great future that's mine, it will bring peace to your life in a special and unique way that nothing else can. Turn with me to Matthew 11. There's a second way that faith in Christ as Savior and Lord brings peace to life. Matthew chapter 11 Verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and you have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son reveals him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does Jesus do for us here? He takes the drudgery out of daily life. Now, I realize today I'm going to preach a whole bunch of things that could be misconstrued, and this is one of them. And you might, looking at that phrase on the screen right now, you might be thinking, oh, you mean my life is going to be easy. It's going to always be fun. No, that's not what I'm saying. Let's look at what Jesus said. He said, take my yoke upon you. What is the benefit of being yoked with Jesus? You need to get in your mind here the image of of putting animals in a team in order to do farm work. And the word, when the word yoke is used in the Scripture, it's, it would be equivalent to our common our, our day, word today of harness. If you go to the parade and you see a bunch of those draft horses or maybe even some of them have a bunch of little ponies and they've all got a big leather thing around their neck and they're strapped together with the other ponies or the other draft horses and they're all pulling this, this wagon, this cart... It's that harnessing device that Jesus is talking about when he says, we could paraphrase it this way, get into the harness with me. He says, because my harness or my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have to move this piano once in a while. And uh, I can't do it by myself. In fact, if I had to move this piano today, you know what I'd do? I'd say. 
And I'd look around and I'd find four guys who I thought were strong. And then I'd get there with them. Okay, guys, here we go. And then I'd look strong just like them. But really, they're doing, you know, 95% of the lifting, and I'm just doing 5% of the lifting. That is something like what Jesus is saying here. He says, get in the harness with me. Why try to do all your own heavy lifting in life? If you've been trying for any length of time, you know you can't do it. And it's only frustration. Jesus says, look, get in the harness with me and I will give you rest. I love lifting heavy things with a bunch of strong guys because I don't get out of breath. Jesus says, you don't have to get out of breath. Let me carry your burden with you. You're still going to have to do some work. There's still that 5% of the carry But he says, I want to lift your load. There is power in being yoked together with Jesus. If you're harnessed with Jesus, you're not on your own trying to make it through every day. How do you get yoked up with Jesus? He says here, you have to take the yoke upon you you have to do it how would how do you do that look at verse 25 some of you probably wondered why i read verses 25 26 and 27 well i think the key to getting in the yoke is in verse 25 i thank you father lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things these truths that christ has been teaching you have hidden them from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes In Jesus' day, there were a group of religious leaders, some of them called Pharisees, some of them called scribes, some of them called priests, and the majority of them rejected Jesus and his message because it didn't fit with what they already thought. They are the wise that's referred to here. They are the people who thought they had it all figured out. I know what's going on. Don't bother. I don't need to hear it. And so Jesus says to his heavenly father, he said, I'm thankful you revealed it to, could I paraphrase this, humble people? What did Jesus mean when he said, except you become like a child or a babe? He means you need to humble yourself and say, Jesus, I need you to get in the harness. I need to get in your harness. I need your help. I need to apply your truth in my life. You have to humbly come to him and, and join in his, in his life. This starts with faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us God will not get in the harness with an unbeliever. He will not. If you do not believe in Christ as your Savior, you can pray all day long. You can sit with your legs crossed and burn incense and pray to light candles. You can do whatever you want. And God is not interested Because he will not join himself together with a person who's living in sin. But once you put your faith in Christ, you have the opportunity through continued obedience to live in the yoke with Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 13. John 13 verse 17. 
there are some verses that I just want to skim through in the Gospel of John that tell us what it means to be in the yoke with Christ. And this is just one of these little summary application verses Jesus put on some of His teaching. John thirteen seventeen. If you know these things, you're really smart. What does He say? How do you get blessed? Do them. You want to get in the harness with Jesus? Do what He says. Look at John chapter 14, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I think of this as people who come to church and, and, and enjoy the sermon as a form of entertainment. You know, good preaching. They know good preaching from bad preaching. Good preaching. Jesus says it's not a matter of just having the truth. You have to keep it. You have to go out the door with that sermon in your mind, with those truths of God in your heart. He who has my commandments and keeps them. Go on to verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. You want to get in the harness with Jesus? Obey his truth. When you seek to live out what God has told you, you ought to have this mental image. It's like you putting that harness on and going, come on, Jesus, help me. And you know what? He will. It's not if, it's not maybe, it's not does he feel like it today. If you will humbly take on his truth, you will get in the harness with him. From Luke 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you who he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug a deep, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house, and it could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. This is my son Ben and a friend of ours from Tukwila, Rhonda Isaacson. Rhonda Isaacson graduated from Western Baptist College yesterday, same time my son did, because her mother came to faith in Christ. I don't have enough time to tell you about what the world would call the dysfunction of the extended family. But when Rhonda was a little girl, she came to our church. And one day her mother got roped into staying in the church. And pretty soon the Lord worked. And Rhonda's mom got saved. And Rhonda got saved. And Rhonda's adopted sister got saved. And Rhonda's brother got saved. And Rhonda grew up and made some tough choices to be a disciple because her mom came to faith in Christ. I'm here to tell you today I could be showing her picture 
just as easily after these many years out of a newspaper clipping and you could just about write the story of anything you want could have gone either way but her mom came to faith in Christ and her mom became a disciple and the battles are not over in Rhonda's family it's not happily ever after it's in the harness with Christ and Rhonda's headed to a, to a ministry-type work life, Lord willing. Moms, you have got to get in the harness with Christ. You cannot save your family yourself. You cannot be there all the time. You cannot take care of all of their problems. It can't happen. You've got to get in the harness with Christ and become a disciple and model that for your children. As you do, God will give you His power. He will strengthen you. Now, if you determine that you are going to be a disciple, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. So you say, okay, I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to believe in Christ as my Savior. I'm going to get in the harness with Jesus. So far you're going, great stuff, Pastor Dave, but you're about to turn on me. Because <laughs> I'm about to tell you the two chief things that mothers need to do as disciples if they want to have peace in their life. And I want you to understand today that that's why I'm telling you. I'm telling you for your sake. You need to believe in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And the second thing you need to do is submit to your husband. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, this is common ground. If you've been in Christ at any time at all, you know this verse. But I want to take you to Matthew 16, 25 and help you understand today how this instruction to moms, to wives comes out of the universal principle of discipleship. Look at Matthew 16 and verse 25, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him affirm himself and seek his own best interest and self-esteem. Did I get that wrong? If anybody desires to come after me, he will find self-fulfillment of the kind not found anywhere else. Well, that might be true, but look what he says. If you want to come after me, you want to be my disciple, you want to really follow me as your Lord, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Ladies, God is asking you to take this basic principle of discipleship and apply it in a specific way. And in fact, he's asking all of us to deny ourselves. Verse 25, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Have you ever stopped and applied that to marriage? Oh, we clamor after what is ours, what we deserve, what we have to have. i got to have it. i got to get it. I can't give it away. Oh. And then we wonder why there's no peace. Verse 26. 
For what profit is it to a man or a woman if he gains the whole world and then loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels, and then, then you will get what you have coming. That's the Lunsford paraphrase. I have no doubt that there are a lot of women here who have husbands that are less than perfect. I have no doubt about that. And you think, well, I deserve better. If you deserve better, you'll get it. God will give it to you Himself. But the basic principle, the universal principle of discipleship is very simple. It is laying down your life. Submission is the natural outgrowth of the key concept in genuine discipleship. If God calls us to lay down our life completely... Why is this one aspect of discipleship so onerous to some people? I don't know. Well, I I guess I should say I do know. I do know because Genesis chapter uh, 3 tells us that because of sin, there is a struggle between men and women. And if I understand the passage correctly, women want to rule and God has determined that men will rule. And so there is a struggle of sin within our life. And yet many people, many people would would say, Oh, I would gladly serve the Lord in Kara, Togo, or in the Budamburam refugee camp in Accra, Ghana. Oh, I want to go serve the Lord in the ends of the earth. Want to go into the outback and the boondocks and the deserts and serve the Lord. Want to lay down my life for Jesus. And we pat him on the back. And then God says, hey, ladies, lay down your life right in your own home. Uh, Excuse me, God. You must be mistaken. If we are really following God's basic principle of discipleship, that of laying down our lives, this will just be an outgrowth of it. We may want to do great things for God, but God says, here's where it starts. Lay down your life. Ladies, this may surprise you. I don't know if it will, but it may surprise you. There are a lot of men who don't want to lead, whether it's in the home or anywhere else. And God calls them to lead. He calls us to lay down our life by taking up the mantle of leadership. I was in a Christian organization. I was on the board of a Christian organization. I came onto it. And in a very short while, we came into a financial crisis. And you know how that financial crisis came up? Because not one of the pastors, and there were many of them, or laymen on that board would accept the treasurer's job of that organization. Not one. Not going to do that. Going to take some work. And you know what happened? One of the staff members picked up the checkbook and messed up the finances because there were men who wouldn't lead. We have to lay our lives down sometimes too. And that can be just as hard as laying your life down to willingly follow your husband. God calls all of us to lay down our lives. 
just in different ways. It's not my intention today to give you a detailed example of how you ought to submit. Then I would really get into rough ground. I would like to encourage you to talk to my wife or Pastor Larry's wife or one of our deacon's wives or some other godly woman who you know here who has a a godly relationship with her husband. Say, let's sit down and let's look at 1 Peter 3. Let's look at Ephesians 5. Let's look at Genesis 3 and help me understand how I can do this better. You need some specific examples of the application of this truth and these women can help you with it. But what is the universal impact of discipleship? Rest. Come unto me, you who are heavy laden. Take my yoke. I will give you rest. Can you, can you believe God enough to rest in His arms through discipleship? Jesus said this in John 10.10, 10, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Do you believe that the discipleship life is a more abundant life? And that even includes submitting to your husband. Oh, ladies, believe me, I teach this today for your sake. Uh, I don't think I'm always worthy of my wife's submission. Believe me. And I know your husbands aren't always either. That's not the point. Ephesians 5.22 says, Do this in the Lord, as unto the Lord. We need to believe in Christ as our Savior. We need to submit to our husbands, ladies. And the third thing that you need to do if you're going to have peace is to discipline your children. Discipline your children. Proverbs 21.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Children need discipline. Children need discipline because they are born sinners. I got, I got news for you. I'm sorry. Joe and Misty, that beautiful little girl, she's going to grow up and scream right in your face. She's going to rebel against you. You know why? It's not because there's anything wrong with them or their child. Because all of us are born in sin. Romans 5.12 Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men. You know, I wish children were born beautiful. and Well, they are born beautiful, but I wish they were born perfect and, and untainted. And, and I wish if we just raised them right, they would just grow up and flower and blossom and be wonderful. And I wish that everybody had enough money and, and all these perfect things. That is the basic belief of many, many people in the world. And I wish them well. Because they're trying to make a better world for children. That's a commendable thing. But I got news for you. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in a perfect place. And when God gave them the opportunity to choose right or choose wrong, what did they do? They chose wrong. And you might be the best parents ever. But your child is going to come out of the womb with a sin nature. What is a sin nature? A sin nature is, is, is the nature within us that when sin, when the opportunity to sin is presented, we go after it. It is our nature to do sinful things. 
And certainly in children, the, the greatest one of these, the most common of these, is rebellion. You know, if you've been a parent any length of time, you know that when you look your little child in the eye and you say no, and they look right back at you. You mean that? Well, where does that come from? It comes from a sin nature. It's in the heart. It's not in the environment. It's in the heart. It's not in the brain. Why is foolishness bound up in the heart of a child? Because they were born with a sin nature. But I got good news. I just saved a ton of money on my car insurance. No. <laughs> just had to wake you up a little bit there. I got good news. The foolishness in every child that's born can be driven out. God says it can be driven out by the rod of correction. Now, the next point that I'm going to say is the one which, you know, I, I preached. Actually, I preached this on Mother's Day about 10 years ago. And, it, you know, there, were, there was a lady visiting and she was not happy with me on the way out the door. But I can't help but preach it because it's God's truth. Children need corporal punishment. Corporeal means physical punishment. Now, they need other kinds of punishment, too. But I'm preaching on this today because, frankly, I believe it is a reason that people do not have peace in their families. is because they have attached themselves to some ideal of the world that says, Oh, I don't want my child to grow up with violence. I don't want to hit my children. I don't want them to learn to hit other people because I hit them. And all these things that make great logical sense. But God Almighty says... Wisdom is found on the lips of him who has understanding, but a rod is for the back of him who is devoid of understanding. It is God Almighty who said that, not me. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly or early. Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Is there anybody here who hasn't seen that verse lived out in the grocery store? And frankly, that's why I'm preaching this message today is because I see these people and I think, oh, you don't have to be living in this lack of peace. Do I believe in beating children in the concept of today's terminology? No, I do not. Okay. Do I believe in the gentle application of pain in order to change behavior? Oh, yes. I absolutely do. Why? Because God tells us it is a key method of change. Why would God write that in the Bible if it wasn't true? And why would God know to write that? How would he know to write that? I'll tell you how. He created us. He is the only one with the operator's manual for the human life. He's given it to us here. And he says, look, this is a key method of change. Very small children can understand pain and pleasure, but cannot rationally understand your instructions. You flick the back of a hand of an 18-month-old baby and say, no. No. They get it. 
they get it. When you explain to the 18-month-old, now, now child, I love you very much, and I don't want you to do anything to hurt yourself, and I want you to know that that, uh, that piece of glassware will cut you if it falls off the table, and uh, you know, I just love you so much, I don't want that to happen. Come on. Come on. Let's quit kidding ourselves. Uh, James Dobson, with whom I disagree very many times on very many subjects, said something very astute many years ago. He said, I am convinced that the, de- that the decrease in spanking, proper spanking, has contributed to the uptick in the abuse of children. Do you know why? Because after a while, you just can't stand it. And you know why that is? Because God put in your soul, parents, the knowledge that this is not right, that this little child will not obey. And because you refuse God's methodology, you come to this point of explosion. Give them a little flick on the hand. Give them a swat in their behind. They're wearing a diaper. It isn't going to kill them. Now, I know I'm not giving you a whole discourse on this today, but here's the key thing I'm trying to help you understand. This is God's methodology. And if you refuse to practice it with your young children, it will not be well with you later on. Why do I believe in this methodology? Because God uses pain and pleasure to motivate us. What does God say will happen to you if you accept Christ as your Savior when you die? What will happen to you? Come on. Where are you going when you die? Heaven. Where are you going to go when you die if you don't accept Christ as your Savior? Is that pain and pleasure? God, God does with you the same thing we did with our children. Look, here's a choice. You want pleasure or you want pain? Here's a choice. When our children could understand words, we started telling them, here's the choice. Pain or pleasure? Just like God does with us. What does God do to you, child of God, when you ignore His warnings and live in sin? What does Hebrews 12 say He's going to do to you? He's going to chastise you. He's going to give you some pain so you will get back into the right way. Does God enjoy giving you pain? No. Does God enjoy sending people to hell? No. He puts the choice. He says, you want to live righteously? Here's a blessing. It's God's method, and He demonstrates it for us. And one of the greatest reasons that I believe in corporal punishment is this. A little pain on the backside now will yield a lot of peace in the future. Look at this verse. Correct your son, and he will... (sighs) Correct your son, and he will give you rest. Worshiping God. You think they're born saying, Oh yes, Father, whatever you say. I thank God for His simple truth. And for being so stupid that I used it. 
And I didn't know better than to ignore what he told us. Believe me, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm patting God on the back. It grieves me when I see parents living in unrest, in hardship that could be avoided. I know your, your children are going to give you some, some challenges you can't avoid. Our son got a big lump on his neck and the doctor said, oh, that's grown fast. We better get rid of that. I know there's nothing I can do about that and there can be a sleepless night or two. But by golly, when he rebels, I can do something about that. Parents, grandparents. We used to send our kids to Sue's folks every year Thanks at spring vacation. They'd go there for a week and it would take us three weeks to get them back in order when they came home. I know it's your job to spoil them, but not to spoil them all the way, grandparents. You can reinforce what your kids are doing. You can help those kids know there are always boundaries and there is always obedience and rebellion. It may not be your job to spank them, but it's your job to reinforce what your kids are doing. And it may be your job to come alongside your kids and say, Johnny and Susie, come on here. You've you got to do some work here. It's God's will. It's not my will. And I am too. I am too. There you go. Now, you know, as I think about preaching God's truth, I could have come to today and said, hey, how, I'm, I'm going to let the mothers take it easy. I'm going to preach to the men. Oh, I'm going to talk to those men about their wickedness. And I bet I could get an amen or two from some women, maybe even a wave of the amen hanky, you know. <laughs> you go, preacher. Or I could preach Proverbs 31. I could send all the women out of here feeling guilty that they aren't perfect. But what I did was preach what I consider to be the most loving thing I can possibly say to you, and that is God says you can live in peace. I'm not preaching this today to help your husbands out. I'll give it to him later on. Don't worry about that. It's not about your husband. It's about you. I'm old enough to remember the classic TV show, Fathers Knows Best. Our TV shows have come a long way from those days. And I understand that fathers don't always know best. They aren't perfect. But the Heavenly Father does. And this is not an accident that He put this in His Word. And it's not put there out of anything but love for you. I would encourage you, if you want to apply this message to meditate on Matthew 16, 24, the verses we read, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I would encourage you to read one of the Gospels and consider how much Jesus had to deny himself. Jesus had to deny himself. You're not going to get away with any less. Maybe get a good book from our resource center here, from our library, on the family. Ask God to help you apply these truths. Ask Him to help you see how you're not applying these truths and trust Him for His blessings through them. Father.
Oh, thank you. Can't thank you enough for not only saving us, but for telling us how to live, for telling us how to, uh, how to apply your truth to our children. Can't thank you enough. Father, I just, I just uh, pray this blessing of your truth onto every family here, especially the young families today, Father. May they work hard at taking up your mantle of training their children. May there be cooperation between husbands and wives, and may there be leadership and followership. And may this church be a place where families bring glory to you. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's take our hymn book, please, and turn to number 500. If you need some help getting started on the path to applying this truth from God's Word, it would be my joy to sit with you, or Pastor Larry, or one of our wives, for you ladies, whatever we could do to help you get on God's path of peace. If you need to accept Christ as your Savior today and get started on this Christian life, tell me that as you shake my hand today and say, Pastor, let's get together. I need to get started on the righteous life. Heavenly Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your love for us. Help us as we apply it day by day. We are feeble folk and we make mistakes, but help us not to give up on your word and on your truth, Father. Thank you for everybody that's here. Give us good fellowship and then safety and great times with our family this afternoon. I pray in Christ's name, amen.